Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 484th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who helps others understand and create food forests. We're talking with Christy Cap about eco-edible landscaping. Christy is the founder and executive director of Resilient Roots. She has a master's in ecology from Yale School of Environmental Studies and over 20 years of farming experience. She decided to merge her two professions, completed a permaculture landscape design program, and has been designing landscapes since 2014. Resilient Roots is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to educate and promote awareness about permaculture landscapes that are primarily edible and guided by ecological principles. They empower people to grow their own food in a manner that is sustainable and uses local resources. Welcome to the show today, Christy. Are you ready to rock edible landscapes? I am. Thank you. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. I studied uh, ecology when I was in college and in grad school and then worked for many years as an ecologist for the state of Massachusetts. And then when my kids were young, I decided I really wanted to be home with them. So farming had also been a passion of mine, and I decided to just start doing some farming in our small little area here. And I farmed, you know, vegetables and flowers and that sort of thing. Then about five years ago or so, I started to realize that permaculture was really actually the merging of the two things that I love the most, and that was ecology and farming. So I started to look into that more, and I really found that it resonated with me, the whole idea of looking to nature to understand how the ecosystem works and how we can translate that into agricultural systems. Nice. So that's what landed me there. Perfect. And you you mentioned a couple of times that you were a farmer, started 20 years ago as a farmer. When you say that, what do you mean? What were you doing? Well, we have a really small backyard, if you will, only an acre and a half. So it was a small farm, but, you know, I live on 
in an area where it's fairly suburban. And so an acre and a half is actually considered a lot. And I was just, you know, building raised beds and growing. First, I started growing mescaline mixes, you know, and selling them to restaurants. We live in an area where, uh, where there's a lot of upscale restaurants, so growing herbs and greens and that sort of thing for them. Back then, there weren't a lot of people doing that. And so, you know, they were willing to pay some extra money. So, you know, I didn't make a lot, but I was able to be home with the kids and able to sort of show them how farming works and, you know, let them to dig around in the dirt and that sort of thing. So that was important to me at the time. And and that's the way I went. Interesting. 20 years ago. So that would have been 1999, 2000. That was the same story time that I started, the same timeline that I started going back to college. I ended up getting my bachelor's and master's from 1999 to 2006. And from Mm -hmm. 1999 to 2004, I farmed my front and backyard. And I was was raising vegetables and fruit for the local restaurants. (laughs) With some parallels. Yeah, exactly. The thing that I had discovered 10 years previous to that, though, was permaculture. And Mm-hmm. You you discovered permaculture. Did you do a permaculture design course? I did. With who? I did a I did a PDC with Andrew Faust up in Vermont at Yestermorrow. They they do a program every year. And can you define permaculture for us? Well, permaculture for us is we we define as an art and a science where we put combinations of plants and animals together, looking for mutual um, and beneficial relationships. So what we're looking for is different patterns in nature for us to emulate. And we're trying to create an ecosystem that is more than the sum of its parts. We're trying to make it better. We're trying to regenerate as opposed to just make something sustainable. So we're looking at ecosystem functions Mm -hmm. as just as important as our product. What sort of ecosystem functions can we sustain? When we're doing that, we're using things like fruits and nuts and and vegetables and mushrooms and that sort of thing so that we're not only making the ecosystem better, but we're able to glean some profits or yields for ourselves at the same time, as opposed to more conventional systems, agricultural systems that basically just extract or mine in the end from the soil in order to get their fruits, the fruits of their labor. We're actually trying to make the soil better and make the wildlife and the diversity of the area better. Nice. And you distinguished the difference between sustainable and regenerative. Can Mm -hmm. you dig into that a little deeper? Yeah. Sustainable is sort of a buzzword that um, people use a lot. And and I I think it's not a bad thing to try to, to have a you know, a goal of being sustainable in whatever you're doing. But the thing is, it's it's basically sort of a, a less bad scenario as yeah. opposed to let's make it better. And, you know, until I really saw, I started looking deeper into permaculture, I didn't realize that, that there was an opportunity to do that. I always felt like we were sort of, humans were sort of a plague on the earth. That no matter what, we were going to have to be, you know, try to downsize and minimize our footprints and all. Then I discovered um, permaculture and sort of the concepts around that, and I realized that, well, we can really make a very positive impact so that our footprint is really something that's a good thing to have. The bigger the footprint we have, as long as the soil that we're using is getting better and better and more and more productive, you know, that's all a good thing. So that, to me, is what regenerative is, is where 
we're making it better. We're making it so that it's more productive and so that we can actually live a better life and all the people around us can live a better life as opposed to just sustainable where, yeah, we may be using, you know, organic implements and that and amendments and sprays and that sort of thing, but we're not really making it better if we're tilling the soil. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting, I define permaculture, and I've been defining it this way for years, the art and science of working with nature. And you just said that. So I love that. Well, I really, there is some art to it, I think, you know, more than just the science, but. Yeah. And the other thing that I've distinguished, and and people hear me say that, uh, say this, and that is that I'm not a fan of sustainable. Now, do I think sustainable is a bad thing? No, but it's a stepping stone into something that is regenerative. And I heard you say that too. Yeah. Nice. Your company is one that's doing echo edible landscaping. Can you tell me what that is? Well, really, echo edible landscaping is just maybe a layperson's term for permaculture. We found that the word permaculture was one that many people weren't familiar with. And we were trying to hook people that maybe were interested in this but didn't know they were interested in this. Right. So by saying eco-edible landscaping, I think we tapped into a group of sort of average people that are into organic gardening and into a lot of those sort of things, you know, eating well and nutritious foods that might not have taken a second look if we had said we're permaculturalists uh, or we practice permaculture. So we sort of, you know, when you get past the the website or the workshop and you're starting to engage, you start to realize that really we use them very similarly. Yay. Resilient roots. Tell me about that. I realized as I was doing, I started to create some plans for people and I just realized that it was a thing that I was so passionate about that I really didn't want to keep it to myself. (laughs) I really wanted to, I wanted to work with other people for one and I wanted to spread it around. I mean, I feel like it's the whole, the concept of using nature and sort of shifting some of our ideas away from the way we grow our food conventionally, even at a larger scale, those are all ideas that I think really need to be talked about, really need to be brought out into the open and debated. And I thought the best way to do this is just to create a nonprofit and try to get to all sorts of people, whether they have money to pay for somebody to do a plan or whether they just have, you know, a little backyard that they want to start a garden in. And we wanted to reach out as much as possible to as many different people as we could. So that's how Resilient Roots came to be, was just sort of a little little light bulb idea. You know, maybe we could do more with this. And, and I, I found a group of people, you know, some friends and some friends of friends, that were willing to be on the board and show up at all the workshops and stuff envelopes and put up posters and that sort of thing. And um, we're only a little over a year and a half old, but we've got 500 people or so that we email to to let them know what we're what we're up to. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it's really grown fast. I think that uh, it resonates with a lot of people out there. You know, I'm finding that this this whole notion of where your food's coming from and how it impacts our health is really waking up a lot of people. Yes, I think you're right about that. I think, you know, as more and more people realize that that 
maybe who they were relying on for their health. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe they shouldn't be relying on yeah. that. And, you know, knowing where your food comes from and knowing your farmer, it definitely in our area has become a big deal for people to understand that and feel more comfortable that, you know, the food that they're putting in their mouth is really nutritious, you know, and is going to keep them healthy and make them healthy. So, yeah. no, I agree. I think the whole, the you know, foodie movement has really brought agriculture and permaculture to a different place. And you went with a nonprofit for the community aspect of it? Yeah, we really we really felt like, you know, although we could probably do okay just doing plans for people that have the money to to pay for that, we we wanted to be able to go out and look for money so that we could get grants and and donations and and bring it to the people that really needed the most. And those are the ones that can't afford it. So um, we're still working towards that, and mm-hmm. um, some of the work we're going to be doing in the future is going to be working with land trusts on some of their land so that we Ooh. can create demonstration gardens so that the public can come in and we can do, like, you know, monthly tours mm-hmm. and try to, you know, reach out to some of those people that, you know, don't have the money to actually do it in their own backyard but want to see how they could maybe, you know, get started and do a little piece of it. Yeah. But we have to have public spaces to do that, and so that land trust connection has really been a new one that we've made that really seems like that's going to open the door for us to be able to do that more easily. Oh, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. So let's transition over to what is a food forest? A food forest is a um, combination of plants and animals, if you will, and you typically find in a food forest that you try to include all the different layers that you might find in a natural forest. So you'll have seven layers typically, you know, a tall canopy layer, which may be like tall standard-sized fruit trees or nut trees. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have a layer below that, which we call the lower tree layer, and that will have you like your tree, your dwarf fruit trees. And then below that you might have a shrub layer, which would be something like a beech plum, blueberry, that sized plant. And then below that, you'll have your herbaceous layer, maybe, you know, a foot and a half to two foot layer. And then below that, you'll have your ground covers. And below that, the root zone where you might have some root crops. And then we also have the seventh layer, which would be the vines and climbers and those that climb up the trees. I mean, around here, we have a lot, we often use grapes and that we'll often just have the grapes crawling up the fruit trees. So that's sort of the structure of a food forest. And it doesn't necessarily have to be all of those layers, but that would be sort of what we would consider a complete food forest. Mm -hmm. And if we had a lot of space, we'd try to uh, use at least some of those in our food forest. And those, the things that we we would have in there, as I, I mentioned earlier, would be like nuts and fruits and herbs. You may have some trees that you want to use for timber, like a locust tree or something, even just for posts and that sort of thing might be involved in sort of your back layer. Mm-hmm. And mushrooms might be something that you would actually include in that too. So those are all things that you could grow in a food forest. And the combinations also would include uh, support plants, things like nitrogen fixers that would help us to fix nitrogen from the air and bring it down into the soil where the plants can use it. Mm -hmm. We call those support plants. And then also mineral accumulators, something like the comfrey plant and even the dandelion is also a mineral accumulator. So we we don't really discourage dandelions in our garden so much. 
But what we do is we, we take the leaves out of the comfrey and the dandelion and we, we chop them back several times a year, right back, back to the ground, and then distribute those leaves around our fruits and any other plants that are right there. And that actually distributes minerals to those plants. So we don't have to go out and ba- buy a bag of fertilizer. We're actually creating our own fertilizer right on site. Nice. And then the other thing that we would actually include a lot of is a lot plants that would bring in beneficial insects. Lots of different flowers and herbs that we would bring in would, you know, bring in ladybugs and other kind of beneficial insects and pollinators. And those all of those plants that I've mentioned also could have other functions. For instance, we might get medicinal herbs from some of those things that are also attracting the beneficial insects. So we look for trying to to create as many different functions for any particular thing that we're planting as possible and, and put those in a place where we can make the best use of them. Stacking functions. If you have a choice between different types of plants, you want to try to choose combinations of plants and plant individual plants that will provide you with as many different functions as possible. An apple tree is a, a good good one to look at. I mean, apple tree is going to provide you with apples, obviously. It's going to provide you with potentially apple wood for, you know, creating things if you want to. It's going to provide shade. You know, the leaves are going to provide nutrients for anything that, that are down, is down below it when they fall. So we try to look for things that are going to give us as many of those functions as possible. And that's what we call stacking functions. Nice. And a big piece of a food forest has to be the soil. Tell me about that. Right. Soil is is really the foundation of everything that we're doing. It's the foundation of all the food that we grow. So what we're looking for in the soil is try to create a really diverse group of organisms that live down there because that's going to support the diverse group of plants and animals that are up above it. So when we're starting our food forest, if we're sort of starting from scratch, we are, we're oftentimes it's been cleared and there's lawn quite often there because yeah. we're sort of in a suburban area. Mm-hmm. And so we'll start with something, a technique or a tool called sheet mulching. And sheet mulching is basically like composting in a flatter means. Instead of piling things up three or four feet tall, we're composting in sheets, if you will. And we'll start right off with some some good homemade compost on the bottom that is full and rich with lots of earthworms and macroorganisms and microorganisms and all kinds of you know beneficial bacteria. And we'll put a nice layer of that on the bottom, and then we'll basically look at the resources that we have available to us in the area. We'll we'll scour the stores for cardboard and put a layer of cardboard down. That'll keep the grass down and kill the grass and keep the light from entering that layer. And then we'll use leaves that maybe we, you know, stacked up from our raking in the fall. And we're near the ocean. We'll often go and find seaweed and put a layer of seaweed on. Yes. Which great for the uh, micronutrients. Yeah. And then we'll, for weeks in advance of our permablitzes that we do, or uh, any of our installations, we'll be stopping by at Starbucks and getting the coffee grounds. Mm-hmm. They'll often package those up and we'll get, you know, many, many bags of, of coffee grounds and use that as a layer. If it's in the growing season, any weeds that are around, we'll include those, trying not to use too many that have gone to seed. But 
there's still a lot of good nutrients in the in those weeds, so we want to use those, just like you would put them in a compost pile. Mm-hmm. And then we top it all off with something, if we have availability for wood chips, then we'll use those, or we sometimes we'll, we're, as I say, we're near the ocean, so we can get salt marsh hay, and we might top it off with that. And then wood chips, almost always wood chips on the top, because that will help to encourage the fungal the funguses that we want to encourage there. They will, um, you know, we want to have both a nice balance between the bacterial and the fungal organisms. And and so if we, with the cardboard and the wood chips layered in there, then we're feeding everybody and keeping them all happy. So that's how we start our food forest. And that's how, you know, we start the foundation for growing all these, all these things. And then after they're, getting going, you know, every year or so, every every year or so, I typically in the spring will go around and just sort of sprinkle a little compost on top. And you'll find it won't take long for all those layers to break down. Like usually within a year, everything but the wood chips is pretty much broken down into a lovely sort of, you know, crumbly, worm-infested soil. It's just perfect. Gotta love it. There's actually a book out there called Lasagna Gardening. Yes. I haven't had the author yet on the podcast, and you just reminded me to reach out to them and see if I can get them. And it's, it's essentially the same thing where you're putting down these layers. The one, yes. thing, the one thing I learned today, and this is the, one of the reasons I love doing interviews with, with you all out there, wood chips on top. I never thought to put wood chips on top. That's, yeah. br- that's a brilliant move. And, and also, not only is it great for the fungal growth, but it just doesn't break down as fast as other things. You'll find if you put straw on top, yep. which is a nice one, but or even salt marsh hay, it's gone in no time. And yep. then you're like, you know, you're wanting to cover that up again be, until your plants really start filling out. You're wanting to cover that ground so that the, the weeds don't move in. I'm going to do a sidestep here. If you go to healthysoilhacked.com, I have a whole video on lasagna gardening or sheet mulching like as we call it in permaculture so yeah for those of you listening out there healthysoilhack.com and one of the big reasons that i liked diving into permaculture is because permaculture looks at our our natural system around us as a whole system and us being part of it and one of the challenges that we're having is that we're seeing climate change how is permaculture addressing climate change well permaculture is the perfect solution to a lot of the things we're doing wrong <laughs> agriculture in general is exacerbating climate change with every time the soil is tilled carbon is being released every time a bag of fertilizer is used it represents carbon that's been released in the producing of that fertilizer every time food is put on a truck or packaged it all represents carbon being let off into the atmosphere and creating bigger and bigger problems. So if we can start to change the way we're growing our food and look at some of the systems that are in place to help sequester that carbon, then we're going to be a lot better off. And the systems that we're building with perennial plants that range in height and size and shape and texture are all things that are going to be able to withstand a lot of the extremes in the climate. So we're building resiliency into our systems that will be able to withstand things like longer droughts, more intense rains, hail, and the winds that we often get. Being on the coast, we really see that. There's a lot that we get sessions, times when there's just a lot more strong winds coming. And if you have a less even aged group, less 
you know, more diverse structure, you're able to withstand a lot of those things. So by creating these diverse ecosystems, we're really building diversity into our system to do that. Nice. And that's that's what I love about permaculture is it is it's building this amazing diversity and these amazing productive systems. And that's one of the things we didn't touch about earlier is what are your harvests like out of your food forests? My food forest here at the yard is about four or five years old. A lot of the trees that I have are about that old because I started with putting mostly just the trees in. But here's where I feel like one of my failures that I could um, talk about, even though we have such great production this year, we've had a really good year with the weather and the rain and all, and, and we have a lot of things that are producing really well. We've also had an explosion of squirrels and chipmunks and rabbits. And really, in terms of our apple crop, which started out being so prolific, I thought I'm all ready to make the cider, you know, because I'm going to have so many apples. Well, one by one, the squirrels have just taken them away. So no apples whatsoever this year. And the same with with a lot of other things that, you know, we're watching. They've been so prolific, but just little by little, just taken away. So it's frustrating. And I know that eventually nature's going to bring things back into balance. But there are things beyond our control sometimes. For instance, we locally have something that started up a few years ago called a coyote hunt. So a lot of the coyotes have disappeared from our area. And that's probably what's having the biggest impact on the rabbit population around here. Rabbits and Um, squirrels. Exactly. And also people that are using rat poisons to get rid of rodents are often, the rats are often picked up by some of the raptors that Mm -hmm. might be around that might also would have, you know, the owls and the hawks and those sort of animals that would be keeping these populations in check. So, you know, hopefully things will come back into balance and maybe we can make some changes politically that'll help to bring those in the right direction. But, you know, you, you do sort of see that, you know, there are things but that are outside of your control. And, you know, as much as you can try, you know, you have to look for the solutions that are within those problems and try to come up with, with ways that you can solve them. As we in permaculture say, making lemonade out of lemons. Exactly. I'm still looking for the lemonade yeah. <laughs> on this one. On, <sighs> ongoingly, ongoingly. Yeah. So one of the questions that I like to throw at some of my listeners is there was a moment when something happened and it moved you maybe with somebody or something that happened and told you, oh my gosh, this is the reason I'm doing this. Do you have one of those? I do. I mean, I I think I get them. I get them often, but in particular, you'll once in a while, you'll get a person who, when you start explaining some of these ideas, these concepts, these things that nature is doing that they just had no idea. I had a woman who came to one of my workshops, and we were it was before the workshop, and I hadn't really started talking about anything yet, but she was walking around and looking at some of the things in the garden and I and asking me about them and, and started asking me about some of these plants, and I started explaining the mineral accumulators and nitrogen fixers, and her mouth just dropped. And she was just so amazed that, you know, this was happening all around her and she had no idea mm-hmm. and and it was just the light bulb went on and 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 then she turned you know she came back to several more workshops and she's going to be one of the people that were were going to our house and going to be installing several different you know food a food forest and, and some other things as well awesome congratulations on that thank you 
So I'm going to shift on you. And you already mentioned what your failure was with the squirrels and other rodents. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think my biggest success personally is that I found my tribe. After working by myself doing the farming and and just sort of keeping my head down and doing what, what worked for me and what made me happy, went out and I did my PDC when I sort of discovered the permaculture principles. And then I started to see that there were a lot of other people out there that really were Yes. Nerding out as yes. much as I was. Yes. And we're just as passionate about, you know, nitrogen fixers and those sort of things. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the, that's what really fed me personally and made me feel like, yeah, I found it. You know, I found, uh, I found what really makes me happy. So to me, that was a big success. You know, I think that I can look back at, at things that we've done over the last couple of years to bring resilient roots into focus. And those are really great. But the precursor to all that was just me finding what I'm really passionate about and what I can work on for days and days, you know, without even thinking that any, <laughs> yeah. any time has passed, you right. know, yeah. um, and that is, is permaculture and, and moving the whole, those concepts forward because they make so much sense to me. It's, it's um, so much common sense. I did my, per, uh, my first permaculture design course here in Phoenix in 1991. And uh-huh. for me, it was this huge epiphany of, oh my gosh, there is uh-huh. something that I can call the way that I think. Uh-huh. What drives you? The importance of, of how we have to change our attitude and and trying to keep pushing towards that, bringing people to think about these ideas and show them that if we can just stop and observe and see what nature's doing, that she's really figured it out. She knows what's going on and that that's a better way to do it than than the way we're trying to force and control a system and trying to get what we want out of it but not giving anything back. So I think just that whole attitude that destructive attitude and in agriculture that I really want to I really want to change I really want to make an impact even if it's only in my little corner of the world mm-hmm. it's what it's really what drives me and, and makes me keep going and you know the sort of the lens that I look through every time I I think about you know what are we going to do next nice. in terms of in terms of our organization yeah nice and I, I'm going to actually do a pause in our questions for the moment and acknowledge you. I've interviewed uh. your, almost 500 people. I think you're episode number 490-something. Uh. And wow. I've interviewed a lot of people that are, have taken permaculture courses. And I have to say, the, what I've learned from you in the last 35 minutes in your speaking, you have an incredible gift and a, an incredible grasp, both, of permaculture. Are you teaching it? Are you teaching permaculture design uh. courses? If not, you should. Oh, uh, no, it's funny you asked that. I was just, we want to do a PDC next year, but I was just talking to Dave Jackie to, this morning to see if he might come and, and at least teach part of it. Uh-huh. I think, you know, we want to do it. I don't feel like I have the confidence to, to lead one yet, but I certainly hope that we're going to be involved in one next year. And then maybe, you know, maybe in the next couple of years, I, I could co-teach or something, but yeah. thank you. I really, that's really nice of you to say. Absolutely. You, you don't always know that about yourself. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I do a lot of teaching and 
a lot of interviews and that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'll walk away from the interviews. It's like, man, I know a lot. Because, you know, it's not <laughs> yeah. something you normally think about. You just do what you do, right? Right, right. Yeah. When I think that's where the passion comes in. Yeah. You know, it's, you, you do it because you, you love what you're doing, not because it's a job. Right. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I would say my favorite book and the one I turn back to again and again is Gaia's Garden. Oh, yes. It's by Toby Hemingway. Mm-hmm. It's a guide to home-scale permaculture. And I actually, whenever I get a new client, I give them one of these books because I feel as though it's going to lay out a lot of what they need to know in order to maintain and live happily with their permaculture installation. He just has a great way of taking all this information and making it very palatable and easy to digest for people that aren't necessarily scientists or farmers, you know. He's just got a really straightforward way of laying out concepts and and making it very relatable to people. So uh, it's something I never have very far away from me. I like to read it just, just to read. Nice. Well, and Toby was a good friend. You know, he's passed away. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, a couple of years ago from cancer. He was, uh, we have a permaculture uh, city class is one of the courses that we actually recorded with him. Uh, Oh. Yeah. And it's a seven week online class. Plus he's on episode 100 of the Urban Farm podcast. So. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It was a great interview. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, I would say for anybody that's that's interested in this is don't overthink it too much. Just plant something. Just start with a, a fruit tree and, you know, do a little sheet mulching around that and then add in some comfries and some lupins and, and clovers and, and some things to attract some beneficial insects. Just, just give it a start and then learn as you go and make sure that you observe, watch what's going on because that's going to be your best teacher is, you know, Mother Nature and what she has to show us. The number one thing in permaculture, observe. And I've, observe. I've heard you mention that multiple times. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Christy. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate all that you do. You bet. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, our website is resilientrootscapecod.org. And our email address is resilientrootscapecod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from anybody. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash resilient roots. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. 
Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.